Sweet Toast, Eddie Webb, and today it's just me. Well, not just me. That would be weird if I was just talking to myself for an hour. No, um, instead of my usual uh, compatriots today, I have uh, Neil Raymond Price with me. Hey, Neil. Hey, Eddie. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, it's been a while since we've actually had you on the podcast. It's, it's been cool to see you again. It's true. I've been enjoying my retirement. <laughs> but I have... Uh, I, Insert quote here, but I, I have pulled you back in um, for one last job. You know, I, I I keep trying to chop wood at that cabin and wearing my flannel, and people just keep coming up to me like, "Just one more job," and I'm like, "Damn it!" I knew I could rely on you for the for the appropriate Spanish quote. Uh, but no, t- uh, uh, today uh, because this is uh, Cyan Month, um, and Matthew just did a great kind of two part uh, show about kind of where Cyan's at now. I thought it would be cool for uh, you and I to talk a little bit about the history of Scion because uh, I was around at White Wolf when uh, First Edition was uh, coming out and then you were also a fan of First Edition and then you came on board in the later stages of creating Second Edition. Mm-hmm. And so let's kind of, like I think, start with, with First Edition. That's a good place to start. I don't want to go into necessarily... Uh, what was in people's minds because it was right after or right before I came on board. Um, I don't know that like all the context work. When I got to White Wolf, Scion first edition was the hero had just come out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was originally, you know, uh, hero, demigod, god. There was no origin. It was a little more world of darkness-y in the sense that um, the gods were kind of a hidden layer to society. Uh, sort of. This is um, we're we're jumping ahead a little bit okay. uh, of of one of the criticisms of Scion, but there was an implied setting. There was never a definitive saying the gods have a masquerade; they are hidden from reality. It's a hidden layer. Mm-hmm. There was just a lot of implications throughout Hero. For example, you would have a fire giant, and the the art would depict the fire giant as as you know in a trench coat, and they're like, well, very often people just think that they're abnormally huge people and don't realize that you know eight eight foot tall people are generally not so buff and generally not so like on fire slightly less on fire yes yeah and there's there's sort of a there's sort of a papering over of 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 the mythic reality and while i thought that was interesting um demigod kind of completely ignored it and god definitely ignored it Mm mm-hmm so, um, and, and because it was an implied thing, those, those discrepancies never really got addressed. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it as we go into 2E, but um, that was one of the things that I wanted to change and address. And that's fair. Another point that was an interesting experiment with Scion 1E uh, was that rather than having a regimented here's what the background of the world is instead it just had uh, basically a novella at the beginning um there's a, a long like 40-ish pages of fiction uh-huh. uh, and, and then uh it rolls pretty much right into the mechanics and the, the the meat of the actual playing the game portion the rules yeah um and i do know that at the time at white wolf it was an attempt to try to present both a toolbox and a background, right? Uh, because this was happening also in what's now known as Chronicles Darkness, but was then uh, World Darkness. Um, the idea that we would put out books with rules and um, minimal amounts of what's necessary to convey the concepts in terms of backgrounds. And then there would be uh, novels that would then actually provide the the context and depth of lore uh, that that would be needed for such books. And Scion tried to combine those two. Like, let's put that heavy fiction into the book itself. Um, And then if people want to use this to run, you know, uh, uh, the Eternals movie or whatever, that they can Mm -hmm. pretty easily uh, without necessarily uh, uh, needing that backstory. But like you said... Um, it, 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 it didn't quite make clear what the assumptions of the world were. So do you want Neil's staid commentary on the way things were, or do you want Neil's spicy hot takes? <laughs> um, well, I mean, Rich listens to these, so 
go with what you feel you you need to go with. <laughs> oh man. Well, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a um, I'll give you a white person spicy take. How about that? Fair um, the the kind I always get when I order spicy in restaurants, and I'm like, no, I, 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 I know I'm white. I can I can handle the spice. Please just give me the actual one. <laughs> so uh, we discussed earlier in a lot of the Vampire the Masquerade things some of the inherent issues with the early approach to Chronicles of Darkness. I would say that. Um, that line pivoted around Requiem for Rome and the mm-hmm. uh, Requiem clan books. Um, the problem with creating a toolbox setting is that it is by, necess- by, by, by necessity extremely shallow. And I think a lot of what hooks players into these sorts of games, into, into story games, essentially, mm-hmm is one of two things. Either you give them robust mechanical tools to create their own elements to it, you don't put all of that onus on on the storyteller, or you provide a mythology in the background, which is distinct from a metaplot. Um, you, you provide background information to the universe, the way things work, how things uh, proceed, and that's what Requiem for Rome and the clan books did for for Vampire the Requiem. Right. And you know, a- after that, people found it much more easy to get into the game. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think one of the uh, I-, I think one of the big issues with Scion is that it tried to kind of have its its cake and eat it too. Right. In that regard, mm-hmm. it you know wanted to kind of give you a toolbox, but it didn't want to give you all the tools in the toolbox. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting about him, because I mean, it, it's one of those things that in hindsight, you look back and go, okay, obviously, you know, naturally, we're both disposed to like, look at how we do things better because we did a new edition of it, right? Yeah. And this, and this is not, this is not a criticism of anyone at the time. Uh, you know, I, I, I come from exalted development, uh, which we'll, we'll get into a little bit more in here too, because that mm-hmm. ties into Scion. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm very fond of of defending things that are uh, in first or second edition because you know fans or even other writers will sometimes like bash them, and I'm like, you know, I I was on the team when that when that happened, mm-hmm. and in hindsight, it was a it, I think it was not the right decision, but at the time we couldn't know that, and we had to make the mistake to realize it was a mistake. Right. Yep. Just to kind of give context, um, uh, at the time, um, our distributor. Because uh, this is when uh, White Wolf, this was White Wolf like, actually had like an office and like a warehouse and the line yards. It was the best selling brand new IP at the time, according to our distributor. Um, everything else was that sold better than it was a reprint or a new edition or a supplement to an existing game. Hero was, uh, of the brand new properties, far and away selling better than everything else. So we clearly did a lot right. Uh, and uh, I think one of the things that work well for a one-off game, uh, but then don't work well when it ends up being a game with a lot of support, is the nebulous nature of the world. Yeah. Um, like again, I can always say like if you're picking up um, what we'd probably now brand an indie game, but you know, a, a game where you buy one book and it's pretty much a contained experience. Uh, just having a lot of cool fiction and then kind of conveying that at the table to the people you're playing with that that's a really solid experience. And again, I could totally see why that made sense, especially if Mm -hmm. you don't know if you're making more than a couple of books. Uh, But you know, when it's okay, now we need to actually make this into a proper line with, you know, lots of history, you know, something that you could build a TV show around, for example. Um, Obviously we did make some more clear cut decisions. Yeah, and, and and again, they were um, the way the the storyteller and storytelling systems were at the time. Um, there wasn't a, a there wasn't really a mechanical place for adiegetic actions. There wasn't a mechanical place for meta mechanics. Mm-hmm. And um, the the big thing about a lot of those story games and and um, a lot of those indie games that you mentioned is that they have rather very explicit meta mechanics that allow players, right. mm-hmm. not characters to influence the narrative or to introduce facts about the setting. Mm-hmm. And um, I think uh, I think it could have really benefited from that. Um, if you're going to leave it an implied setting, you need to give players the tools themselves to actually build part of that implication of the setting. Otherwise, it's just increasing the cognitive load on the storyteller, which in the 
storyteller and storytelling system is already very high. Right, exactly. And actually, um, it's a good time to kind of talk to you about the system because in a way that, again, I could see the decisions at the time, um, but Scion was actually based on the Exalted branch of yes. mechanics. Exalted, Exalted Second Edition. Um, and, and now you will get my, my slightly, spi- slightly spicier hot takes. Fair enough. Um, so White Wolf uh, was doing a lot of really interesting experimental stuff at the time. Before mm-hmm. Scion, there was Orpheus, uh, which longtime listeners of the Pathcast will know is my favorite role-playing game of all time. Indeed. Um, you know, it's it's the goat. Don't try to argue with me. Um, <laughs> but Orpheus was a very experimental structure. It had a very experimental power structure within there that was that was kind of unique to White Wolf and, and hasn't really been done since. Um, and it, it was it was fascinating. And so Scion, I think, was just another vein in the well, let's try something new. Let's try something very interesting. Right. And um, and this is a point where where Rich might get annoyed at me. So um, <laughs> there there was a I, I've seen some of the early design drafts for for Scion. Some of the some mm-hmm. of the early stuff that was bandied about in the pitches. There was talk of doing a slightly different kind of D10 system. That mm. in a lot of ways is almost reminiscent of the um, old school revolution for for D twenty. Um, mm. Very much a focus on small scale character actions and larger uh, larger sort of narrative implications, making a very rules light system. Mm. And the idea, I think, of a rules light system continued into. Uh, c- continued into the actual mainline game, but um, I think at the time the decision was made to use the Exalted system just because. Well, we, we know it can handle epic action, uh, right. but you know we, it's something you can you can pare down and streamline very easily. It's something we're already doing, so it was just it. You know, in, in hindsight, I'm sure it seemed like at, at the time I'm sure it seemed like a slam dunk. In hindsight. Um, Exalted Second Edition. I, I don't think I'm I'm going to blow anyone's minds here by saying this. Had some serious mechanical flaws, mm-hmm. and it had some issues where the designers were told to emulate like certain video game aspects or certain certain mechanics. And the the problem is those designers um, had never played video games. <laughs> um, so if you tell someone to do that, they're just like, uh, um. <clears throat> So Exalted Second Edition looked pretty good on paper. Um, in, in gameplay, and especially like higher power gameplay, out, out of Essence 1 or 2, um, you started running into some pretty severe bugs yeah. about the way the system went. And I, I think I think it's good to kind of contextualize that because I mean, those, those are valid criticisms. Um, but uh, on, on the one hand, like, um, I feel like if, if it had been a bespoke system, I don't know if Scion would have done as well. In the market, I right? don't. I don't think it would have either, honestly. Um, um, I mean, I, I'm sure there's some people who are like going, "Oh man, it would be cool to see a sign light rule system," but we don't know what that could have looked like. Um, and also, at this stage, particularly, um, frankly, in most companies' career, the, uh, we're at a point where if you have a company with making a lot of different games, they're assuming they're using a very similar system. You have your Monty Cook basing all their games off one system. You know, Fate at this point is starting to hit its stride. Um, powered by the apocalypse is is starting to be a, gl- a glimmer in the designer's eye, but you know there, there's definitely a market force towards um, if a company puts on multiple games, they should be similarly understandable systems. Yeah, so exactly. A whole new bespoke system would have been a much harder hill to climb. Yeah, yeah. So, so the de- I'm I'm not at all faulting the decision. No, 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 to no, no, let's no. just use our whole our house system. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Um, that's one of your context because 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 I, I know sometimes we we say things like that fans go like, oh, it would have been so cool. It's like, well, maybe, but you also may never have seen that book. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, uh, and also uh, on Exalted Second Edition, I mean, at this point, it's one of those things. In hindsight, yes, it breaks down at high level play, but also I can see the argument for like you know at the hero level particularly. It's like oh, this works just fine. You know, it's it's and it does. I I, I feel like first edition Scion at the hero level that core book is actually a pretty solid little system. It's when you start getting to the demigod and god level where it starts to get really wonky. Yeah, it, it's a couple of bugs. Like I said, it was a streamlined Exalted Two E system, so mm-hmm. it 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 cut out some. It, you know, it did cut some meat when you were cutting out the fat. Um, right. Yeah. Like for example, you would have um, uh, scions with epic charisma or epic manipulation, but they're 
the social system that was an exalted second edition is not in there. Right. Um, and then, uh, you had, you know, a number of weird bugs like, um, reducing your, your speed of your ticks down to speed one, um, which basically means you act every single tick, uh, which is, which is bananas or, uh, untouchable opponent, which by the math made your defense value, too high for anyone in the antagonist section or any potential player to hit. Right. So mm-hmm. it was kind of bananas in some places, but by and large, you're right. It, it worked and it worked, it worked pretty well. And I, I ran a very successful hero game. I played in a very successful hero game. Mm-hmm. Um, many people did. Right. But it, it, I, I, I think, um, yes, the, the, the port from exalted second edition to this is, is definitely some of the problem, but also, some of it is just fundamental to storyteller and storytelling because a lot of the problems people saw in Demigod and God level were very similar to people who saw problems in late stage Aberrant gameplay. Yes. Aberrant. Um, it just comes down to the probability math gets really weird when you throw a lot of dice at a problem. And so, I mean, I'm going to, I'm just, I'm going to glance because I, because I, we've segued into kind of what we could think of in second edition. Uh, but, um, when um, Rich formed Onyx Path Publishing, uh, he bought the rights to Scion. Uh, at the time, my understanding at CCP, I don't, I'm not 100% sure on this, but my understanding was that they wanted to kind of keep to uh, one space game, one uh, fantasy game, and one modern day game, which to them was uh, EVE Online, Exalted, and World of Darkness. Um, and so the other properties they had... They figured they'd manage to sell them, um, so so Rich bought, you know, the other "quote unquote" space game, and modern day game, which was the Trinity Continuum, and then also the other modern day game of Scion. And then uh, originally he approached uh, Joe Carricker uh, to design Scion. Um, that just ended up not being uh, good for Joe's schedule, uh, partially because at the same time as developing Scion, it was very clear that a new system was going to be needed for both. Trinity and Scion, and ideally a system that could then be uh, extrapolated out to other games that Onyx Path might make. Because again, going for the market forces discussion, you know, okay, Onyx Path needs its own house system that it can then build a wide variety of games on. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I know you came in during uh, the middle of what was then being called Sardonyx, right? Uh, no, I I came in at the very beginning. Of oh, was what, it the very beginning? Sardonyx. And I, in fact, okay. I called it Sardonyx. Um, oh, that's right. That's and, right. And this is this is a this this is another story that makes people um, kind of shift their feet and glare at me a little bit. But um, Eddie, I, I I have to vent. We spent like three weeks on a big email chain, being like, "What are we going to call this system?" And people just <laughs> kept throwing out names and throwing out names and. people were trying to find the perfect name. And I was like, we're calling it Sardonyx. And everyone was like, nobody likes that name. And I'm like, I don't care. I I need something to call it in the moment. We'll Mm -hmm. find something better later. And we did. Yeah. (laughs) But, but, I mean, honestly, and that's a very valid point. That's one thing that uh, I know I've worked on a a lot of projects where um, we just need to call it something. Uh, um, I mean, and, and obviously bad placeholder names are great. Because nobody likes them, but it gives you a quick, you can't just say this thing we're working on. Uh, yeah. You need to give it some kind of title, ideally a very short one. Uh, but if it's really bad, then everyone's going to be spending the whole development time thinking of a better title. And you have to remember to take it out um, at some point in development and to find all the little mentions of it. I sure. um, I remember uh, I was writing on the Black Handbook for Vampire, and this is a complete off off-topic mention totally but uh an, another writer was syncing up their section with mine their history section and they put in a placeholder name um there was some treaty signed between two warring factions of vampires and the writer called it instead of calling it the treaty of xxx or the or the treaty of xx something that would have been caught uh mm-hmm. they called it the treaty of neil because they would be like oh i'll just go back and see that and i'll fix <laughs> that once we decide on an actual name for it and of course right. they never did. And of right. course it's in print. And of course everyone who reads that thinks like, oh, that Neil, he's putting his he's he's putting his ego into the game and self-inserting. And I'm like, no, it wasn't me. <laughs> there but, are different places yeah. that you would self-insert. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, totally. Um I know um uh, uh I, I like when I did um New Wave Requiem, that was a placeholder title. 
uh, it was like, this, this is a dumb title. No one likes this. And then it went to approvals and I'm like, Hey, I'm not happy with the title. It, so I, I, let's talk about the title once you're happy with it. And there was like, no, we love this title. I'm like, what? No, it's garbage. Um, but I was like, it's a, it's a pun and it's not good. And, but everyone loved it. So it's like, so new Requiem is now what it is. So sometimes the, yeah. the placeholder title is ends up being the title for good reasons, but um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so so Sardonics um, came out, and I, I do remember there was a, a lunch with you, me, and Rich at Gen Con, um, where we talked about kind of what we needed this system to be. I remember that lunch. I had a um, prime rib sandwich with au jus. It was quite good. Mm-hmm. And then we had the, the, the spicy shrimp cocktail. Yeah. I, for, for those uh, who don't know me well, I'm extremely food motivated. So <laughs> it's true. But uh, what, do you, what else do you remember? Like, what, like the core things we talked about at that meeting. Well, so that was where we, um, I think we we laid down the actual. I, I I wanted to go into that meeting, getting Rich's actual wants and needs for the system. Mm-hmm. And at the time, we hadn't quite decided that we were going to use the same system for Trinity. That it was going to become Onyx Path's um, home system. Oh, okay. And in, in retrospect, if if those decisions had been made. Um, like I, I probably would have shifted some things around a little bit earlier, but it, but it all worked out pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, it was just uh, Scion's home system, and Rich was like, maybe we'll use it for for Trinity. Oh, okay. And so, uh, you know, <clears throat> um, Rich gave me the mandate of this: this needs to be a system that can do man on the street and God in the sky, mm-hmm. and um, it needs to handle that and everything in between. And I said, okay, like we can we we can do that. Um, so even at that early stage, I was talking about a lot of things like I was talking about taking inspiration more from Aberrant than from Exalted. Mm-hmm. Um, especially since at that time, you know, Exalted third edition wasn't out. Right. And yeah, uh, that we don't, we don't quite need to get into that, but a lot of the things well, I mean, that you point, mentioned you earlier, a, you didn't have another system, another edition system to look at and, and decide if you wanted to use or not. No, no. And, and, but, um, but we did know we wanted to base it on storyteller or at least use a lot of storyteller dna so i started Mm -hmm. talking about a lot of other a lot of other systems to sort of bring in little bits and pieces in um powered by the apocalypse uh fate cortex were probably the three biggest um you know in this mama mia story Mm -hmm. um story path is definitely the storyteller is definitely the mom and then there's three dads and we're not really sure which one you know, the daughter is, but, uh, <laughs> you know, so that's, uh, that's, that's, that's how that went. And it was a, it was a really good conversation. Rich was very excited. Um, he did tell me at one point, um, I want defense to be rolled. And I said, sure thing. And I filed that away and completely forgot about it until very late in development. Right. When we're just like, I thought I told you this. And I was like, oh yeah, you did. <laughs> well, I remember, I remember that. I also remember, um, uh, so many things like it had to be a D10 dice pool um, because yep. it was – we wanted to bridge the people, the fans of the, of the Light Wolf properties into these new things. Um, and people who were fans of the original games needed to find some familiarity. So it couldn't be a completely different system. It had to have dots on the page. There were some aesthetic concerns that needed to be uh, addressed. And those – it's something that I think people who aren't designers don't always realize, and arguably some designers don't always realize, uh, that some design decisions are aesthetic in nature, don't necessarily have to do with the actual hard rules and mechanics and, and probabilities. Yeah. Uh, so it, it could have been D12, it could have been D6s, but we decided D10s, and that does then changes the, the, the math in some of the directions. Yeah, and I and I thought about uh, maybe incorporating some other types of dice. Um, we, we probably could have done D6s very easily. That's another... Uh, amount of dice that even our longtime fans have easy access to, easy mm-hmm. access to great quantities of. Um, but, you know, uh, I, I think the big thing coming out of that is that w- we were talking a little bit earlier about the, the decision to use Exalted Second Edition um, and and using sort of the house system. But at the time, Onyx Path didn't have a house system. And so a lot of this was laying the groundwork for that. Right. And a lot of that was um, s- starting along that path. Mm-hmm. And ironically, you know, Scion probably needed a bespoke system in the first place, and now it was getting one. Exactly right. So um, that's a good kind of segue into now you're in charge of both uh, uh, 
creating uh, scions who, and also uh, working with other designers uh, to develop what uh, sardonyx is going to be and then eventually story path is going to be so it's not easy i'm assuming it's not easy to decouple what 2e needs and what this system needs in your head so kind of let's let's look at those both as a as a piece what was going through your head about what did you feel needed to change what did you feel needed to stay the same or is to be still recognizably scion well, I knew that we needed some sort of scale mechanism, and I was very, very familiar. I, Eddie, like I, I think it's worth noting that I've I've read and played pretty much every White Wolf and Onyx Bath game up to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the only thing I hadn't played was um, was Murder City, the board game. Oh man, um, which I have now played. Um, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty good. So uh, there was there there were a lot of things, and, and as I started looking at the games with a more critical eye, I I noticed a couple of things. Um, target number manipulation is very very powerful, and mm-hmm. and but it also confuses people. And you know if you're not if your storyteller can't do math and they don't realize what the dice math going into it is, um, just telling them to pick an arbitrary difficulty as a target number, which is uh, for those who are listening the 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 number you roll on a D10 that tells it whether it's right. success or not. In Chronicles of Darkness, it's eight. In in Exalted, it's it's seven. Um, in uh, Vampire Fifth Edition, which is not Onyx Path, but um, it's yeah. it's six actually, uh, which which was wild. But uh, yeah. Um, but uh, you know that even those that shift of three radically changes the dice math. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, you know, I, I, I wanted it to be largely fixed, although we later decided that we would move it to a different, a different type of, uh, type of dealie for higher powered elements of the setting. Um, but I, I was also very familiar with Aberrant's long time, like late stage difficulties, mm-hmm. um, just the, the massive amounts of dice pools. And fundamentally, I, I wanted to import some of the game design advice that I'd picked up from Cortex and Fate and Powered by the Apocalypse, which is that roles should matter. You should only roll for things when the outcome is uncertain and failure would be interesting. Right. And um, you don't even need to make it a binary success or failure. You could make it you know, degrees of success if you wanted to. Uh, but you know, you, um, you want a, each role to be interesting and you don't want busy work roles mm-hmm. like, Oh, roll to pick the lock. Um, Oh, you failed. Well, roll to pick the lock again. It's like, no, right. like you can't just, you know, it, you don't want to do that. And you also don't want to be rolling, um, 23 dice every time, 23 D10s. That mm-hmm. just takes a while to count through the successes yeah. or not. Um, and, this was also a big point of contention because, uh, like I said, I came from Exalted Development, and that uh, Exalted is very well known for having buckets o dice. Mm-hmm. And uh, the 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 big problem with that is, uh, and it is a problem, is that it, it's viscerally satisfying to rolling huge amounts of of d tens, but it's not an addictive satisfaction. And what I mean is, it gets old after a while, and after a while. For after you've been playing in that system for a long time, um, it becomes old very fast. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there weren't a lot of really robust online tools and online dice rollers, for example. Yeah. So having that at the table, that's and that's a totally different design uh, design consideration that you know we're only really grappling with now. Uh, with the with the prev- uh, the prevalence of streaming games and online games and Discord, and mm-hmm. during the uh, during the pandemic, but you know at the, at the time those were in in their infancy, yep. and we didn't uh, want to give people tools, you know, to count your dice pool of thirty, and mm-hmm. at the same time, um, Scion had an awful habit of having the dice rules not matter at all. Like you, you could be rolling twenty three dice, but your epic attributes gave you a success of like sixty four successes right. on the roll, which is which is bananas. Mm-hmm. Because first off, you have to do a lot of math in your head. We're yeah. talking, we're talking two two uh, level mo- um, addition here, Eddie. That's mm-hmm. that's that's a lot. I'm adding a lot um, of numbers together. Yeah, and um, but it also like 
even if I rolled a success on either every one of these twenty three dice, it's not going to beat that sixty four, like that that sixty four successes right in there. Mm-hmm. Like it's mathematically impossible. Why am I even rolling? Yep. Like, and uh, you know it. it it, it it was kind of a, a a popular thing to bash White Wolf back in the day, um, of you know uh, like a lot of designers can't do math, and I think I think a lot of folks were just going with like an intuitive thing, right. and that that works, but it only works up to a point, and it works um, it starts to break down when you actually do do the math and mm-hmm. you get to those very high levels. Sure, especially um, uh, uh, I, I will say having been in in developing some of those books uh what tends to happen is the first core rule book uh uh, there's maybe someone on the team who's got a reasonably good uh, approach to the math behind the decisions um especially if it's a book that's using a relatively new system but then subsequent books are just kind of relying on the first book having done their work and uh if they don't understand the core design reasons behind it, they may be misapplying them or, or not understanding, thinking through the consequences of introducing new wrinkles to that. And then when you have something like Scion, where again, it's the, the instinct was, let's base this off an existing system, but make it more streamlined. If you're not completely thinking through the ramifications or, or not even thinking through, like sometimes you don't even know all the ramifications of taking it until the rubber hits the road for long-term gameplay. If you're just, you know, we ran this a few sessions, we play tested it a few times. It seems to hold up. Um, that you don't have the time to play a one year campaign, see if everything you know lasts long term. Right. Uh, so, so you're right. It, it's these okay. The, you start to move into these numbers look right uh, based on previous assumptions, and then sometimes there are not even edge cases, but just just a, a, a systemic application that you can't possibly entirely predict. So yeah, no, totally. I mean, it, it's not uncommon to have people do eyeball and say what looks right, but I, I agree with you. The the uh, canard of designers can't do math is, is inaccurate because sometimes it's very complicated math that isn't necessarily worthwhile to try to figure out for every single power when you're writing a hundred powers and you have to get it all in a month and a half deadline. Yep. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's still fair to say that, that, these were not good solutions for the, the large scale that we're looking for for a new Scion. So um, yeah, you're able to kind of all, take those considerations and apply them to a new direction. Yeah, and all, all game design is iterative. All things considered, yep. this mm-hmm. is still a very young industry, mm-hmm. um, less than 60 years old. Um, and you know you, you still have the old grognards from first edition D&D still around, still playing at tables. Digression, but this is that's one of the things I find fascinating about the tabletop RPG industry is that yes, all design industries are iterative. Uh, but if you look at like video games, um, people, uh, it, well, maybe it's not true. There are still people who go back and play really old video games and really enjoy them in lieu of modern reinterpretations. But most of the time, I have seen some arguments like, "Oh, I'd like to play Mass Effect, but you know, it's kind of hard to play. Oh, there's a new version of Mass Effect. I'll play that instead." Um, generally the trend is much more towards, oh, has there been a remastered, revised version? Um, unless the remastering has been particularly borked, I'm looking at you, Corner Trigger. Otherwise, people generally will play the newest version of it. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas in the tabletop industry, not only is there a group of people who prefer playing older editions, but also we specifically cater to that, right? We drive through RPG allows for every edition to be online, so you can still buy those. Granted, sales are still trending towards the newest book that that that's not changed but you know you have an explicit market towards if you want these classic versions they're right next to the original versions and you can still play them um but to to more to your point i don't see a whole lot of people who are first edition scion like stalwarts there's lots of people who are like i like this bit of first edition better and i i reconned this bit of what i like about first edition tech into story path but um there aren't people no i only play first edition i don't play any of the second edition stuff i, I don't see that for scion specifically yeah i i occasionally see people on like the scion um the scion facebook group who are like i much prefer the setting in first edition and i'm like what what setting 
Right. Like <laughs> as we as we covered before. Yeah, the, the, set, the setting you think is there. Yeah, sure. Then use that, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 your game. I'm not going to come knock down your door and and demand that you play it the way I wrote it. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so Scion, I think, um, and, and this isn't this isn't uh, uh, again a criticism. I think it suffered from um, a bit of a bit of uh, myopia. And a bit of focus. It was only ever supposed to be those three books, right? Yep. Um, it was not supposed to be a line, and so they didn't build it to support a line. Mm-hmm. And that's you know that that was the constraints that they were under, and those were the the directives they were given. Uh, and then it sold so well, they're like, okay, well, well let's make it a line. Uh, right. But it wasn't really built to support that in the first place, and so you had some some growing pains in the companion and in, and in Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. So, which are which are which are both excellent books, and actually, probably that late stage Scion DNA is probably what what led to a lot of second edition. Yeah, and I mean, I was actually the dev on the companion specifically, and I know some of that was um, a certain amount of continuing uh, iterative experimentation. You know, it's the um, these kinds of companion books tends to be a bit of a grab bag of here's cool bits. Um, and so it became almost kind of our proto uh, stretch goal uh, design that we use now for Kickstarters, which is let's let's throw a, a bunch of cool things that are not in themselves a full book, but basically an essay, effectively, of yeah. content, and then bundle them together into one book. And the companion was, let's do a bunch of small PDFs and then eventually compile and release that as an actual printed proper book and, and see how that works. So the companion was definitely kind of the, okay, let's have some more pantheons. Obviously that's a natural thing. Um, let's try uh, what happens. What was the world war two pantheon look like? Um, you know, and how do we play a game set in world war two? Uh, uh, you know, what, you know, and, and there's lots of other bits and pieces um, that like you say, were kind of an attempt to now, now let's stretch the line and see what directions can it go in, see what the reaction is to these various pieces. And we saw, you know, new pantheons were generally pretty positive received to the point where I think at least some of them were now, are now considered part of mainline pantheon second edition. Right. Um, yeah. So um, Tuatha were, were actually in the companion, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually all of the gods in the companion book uh, made it in all the pantheons of the companion book made it into core heroes, second edition, uh, plus an additional one that was sort of detailed in first edition, the 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 um the Manitou, oh, and right. then um, the Bogavi, who are also like kind of mentioned in the companion, made it into demigod, mm-hmm. um, and the weird French only pantheon, the Nemeton Devos, yes. made it into the hero companion. So, right, I remember that. For the, for those who don't really know, um. Apparently, the, uh, the 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 licensor in charge of translating Scion into French um, loved the game, like mm-hmm. absolutely bananas loved it, and I, I guess they must have petitioned White Wolf or, or, or y'all to uh, to to make their own supplement, and they got a yes, and so there is a French only pantheon that's, that's completely written in French. There's there's no official English translation. Um, uh, so when you say petitions, um, it is more accurate to say asked for forgiveness <laughs> <laughs> because I remember getting uh, proof of that. I'm like, so what's this a translation of? And they're like, oh, uh, it's actually some new material. I'm like, cool. Who gave permission? It's like, oh, we didn't know we couldn't do new stuff. Um, <laughs> And so I remember at the time I was like, okay, fine, just give us an English version of it. And then I, I don't think we ever, something fell into place where we never either, I think we got an English transition, but just, we never went ahead with it. Um, uh, but, and it was one of those things that got lost, lost in, in my layoff. Uh, but no, because I, I, I was like, uh, guys can't really, do, that's why there's no other French only material after this. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's cool to kind of bring those nods in, but, but, uh, my original point was like I completely agree with you. Um, my understanding was definitely like that was the original intent, and then it, it was again one of the best selling new IPs at the time because we had been hearing, okay, well, new games don't sell, new games don't sell, and it's like, well, let's just make a new game, and see what happens. Um, and then it sold, 
So it's like, well, yeah, yeah, we need to make Ragnarok. We you know, made uh, that. And, and there was always plans to make more. Um, like we did the uh, adventures, the PDF only adventures online. Um, and even those were were kind of the, let's just, okay, um, let's do a side adventure with werewolves, I guess. Uh, we were still kind of trying to figure out what that line would look like because it was never, much like V20, right? V20 never meant to be a line. And then somebody's like, oh, crap, it's a line. And like the Companion of Ragnarok, some of those adventures actually gave me ideas about how to eventually construct the second edition world. Mm. Like um, the uh, the werewolves in the one adventure you mentioned, I believe it's Seeds of Tomorrow, mm-hmm. um, are, are are huge antagonists. No, it's Wolfheim. Um, Wolfheim. Yeah. Well, that would make a lot more sense, wouldn't it? <laughs> Yeah, so 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 um, the werewolves are major antagonists, and um, although Demigod had kind of mentioned it a little bit, this was the first time that I realized, like, oh, there's really other supernatural powers in in this world, right? Other than just gods and and scions um, and titans, and oh, um, these guys aren't really titan spawn, but they are, you know, their own supernatural thing, and so that planted the planted the seed. Um, in second edition that you'd have a lot more diversity to the setting. I think mm-hmm. the big key to making it uh, a line and something that, that can have legs as a line rather than just a contained three book series um, was to make the world much bigger and weirder and yeah. have lots of little exceptions and nooks and crannies here and there. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and uh, so there was, definitely a uh a firmer stance of okay it's the modern world but gods exist and also to a degree a pretty explicit thing of of recognizing this doesn't entirely make sense with human history but that's just how it is and go with it which I think um, Scion didn't really, first you really have to deal with it because it was like it's an additive setting. You're kind of learning about setting you're going. There was never really a point where it's like, okay, this is exactly how it is. And then have people go, well, wait a minute. I, I question that assumption, which is I think where you get into some of that. You mentioned the, I prefer first edition setting. It's like, you're right. There was no setting necessarily. I mean, there was, yeah. but it, it was, you learned about through, through reading it, not necessarily being so- told it. So I will say this, I will say this, and this is something I deliberately decided to move away from in second edition. There Mm. is a very heavy implication in first edition, and it may even be outright stated in Hero, um, that um, the gods have largely been very hands-off from the world, except for one or two, like, they'll they'll still come down, they'll still incarnate, they'll still make a scion, uh, and they'll still sort of, like, play their little fate games and, like, fight against one another, but by and large, their days of intervening in human history are done. Mm-hmm. Like all the scions who could have become gods have done so, and they're not really visiting or, or you know, activating any new scions that they make. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when the Titans start uh, start coming loose, um, they're like, "Oh no, we 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 need cannon fodder." Right. Um, which which. You know, to be blunt, I think fits really in with the very cynical way that I think White Wolf looked at things a lot of the time. Oh, sure. Um, I, I think I think if we were doing that plot line today, we would say something more like the gods have realized that, you know, taking taking their hands off the wheel of humanity was a mistake. Mm-hmm. And this is the first step in rectifying that mistake. Right. So so there was a very heavy implication that there are a lot of scions now because there just haven't been before. Mm-hmm. And you know that there wasn't a need for them, so that is still a little bit within second edition, but it, not so much. And um, you know, fame is very explicit in second edition. And you know, in, in our world, someone says they're the child of a god. You're like, yeah, right, buddy. Uh, mm-hmm. And Scion, someone says that, and you're like, well, okay, we'll back it up. And if they do back it up, you're like, okay, cool. Right, and, and and more to your point, um, the idea of you're born into a war that you didn't choose and that war is getting hot is a cool concept, but also if you don't want to play within that restriction, you, you're kind of making it up. At that point, you're striking out and, and more or less doing your own thing. It also uh, – The second edition, there's a lot yeah. more you can do outside of the god-titan conflict. 
Right. And and honestly, um, although the God Titan conflict is the biggest hook in first edition and and is the reason we did the Titanomachy book, because in dealing with what I'm just about to talk about, we had to kind of excise that hook. Mm. But it doesn't necessarily work very well for every single pantheon. Mm-hmm. Every pantheon has a different relationship with their with their titans, with with gods who are effectively effectively still gods who can make scions, but also um, tit- like gods that are essentially antithetical to humanity or to humanity's development. Uh, you know, not necessarily evil, but definitely not not good. Mm-hmm. Um, and the problem is, is that every mythology is its own bespoke way of looking at those sorts of things and how the gods grapple with nature um sometimes they don't really have properly have titans at all or beings that you could classify as titans mm-hmm. uh and sometimes those titans are woven very closely into the family tree of the gods like for the irish pantheon the greek pantheon mm-hmm. and so if, if you think about scion as a sequence of events that have actually occurred to have a logical outcome into the mythology that we know you're like wow you know for for i guess the the titanomachy for the irish and the greeks were a nude wrestling match that turned into a key party so because <laughs> um, there's a lot of there's a lot of kids of both floating around um so you know nice. it you're like you're like okay well so in second edition we definitely for good or for ill, and I would I would do it slightly differently today. Uh, we moved away a lot from the Titanomachy. There's still a a sense of culmination in the world, and you know the the Titans are getting more and more restless. But mm-hmm. um, the gods have always been kind of active. They've they've always made scions, um, and uh, each pantheon has a different relationship with those scions, and. It, you know, I think you often design what you what you love. My favorite games in Scion First Edition was when I was not fighting the Titan War, but when my characters were um, playing tricks or sabotaging other pantheons. And mm-hmm. I found that the in- interpantheon conflict and interpantheon intrigue is much more much more intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's that's sort of what we were designing around. Right. And like you said, I mean, we're, this is specifically about kind of the, the history uh, of the game. So, I mean, like you point out that the game has, has, has second editions already moving in, in different directions and that's good, right? Yeah, we, we learn things and we, we refine processes and we, we, you know, go in new directions, but I do feel that, uh, even if maybe you cut a little close to the bone in terms of excising the, the Tanamaki conflict, um, more explicitly introducing the inter-pantheon conflict and uh, frankly having more pantheons to do it with it is good combined with one thing that I think, I don't know how intentional this was, um, you move the pantheons from basically vampire clans, this is your set of powers you get, to something closer to like Trinity allegiances where this is the kind of game you want to play. Absolutely. Um, and that's... Uh, you know the 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 fact that um, the social the social uh, aspects and the social paths um, map onto Trinity allegiances uh, was a deliberate choice that we started we started okay. making as we were continuing to craft the system because eventually it did come down that we yeah we did absolutely want to use this for Trinity we wanted to use it for future Onyx Path products so um, in the newly christened Story Path system. Um, <laughs> which is which is kind of funny because um, y- y'all y'all kind of told me that that was going to be the new name of the system, mm-hmm. and I was like, but we don't have any like paths or something. And I I think it might have been you who was like, I guess you should make some. And I was like, <laughs> okay, it like something I was at, yeah. Uh, but I but I've been looking at a life path system um, anyway, and um and 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 Eddie, get ready. Here's another spicy spicy gripe. This oh, is no. this is this is Neil venting his spleen <laughs> i'm a i i was the editor on um legends of the wulin which was the successor game to weapons of the gods which was made by jenna moran and jenna moran was one of the designers of exalted second edition mm-hmm. um you know i i also edited noblest third edition uh for for jenna um so i i was always tied into that kind of really 
weird auteur game design theory. Mm-hmm. And Jenna came up with this fabulous idea in Weapons of the Gods of lore sheets. Mm-hmm. And lore sheets were discrete pieces. Of, and I'm sure someone out there is like, wait a minute. Lore sheets yeah. are discrete pieces of the setting um, that you can kind of progress down almost like a life path, but you can buy meta mechanics from. So mm-hmm. for example, um, if you have a personal rela- relationship with like the head of it, uh, you know, if, if if the head of the organization has like, if Odin has his Valkyries, for example, you could buy a little knob in there to make yourself one of Odin's Valkyries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that and it's, it's a social distinction. It's something you're picking up in the setting. You're purchasing with experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I kept trying to figure out a way and I kept, you know, talking to the writers and we came up with a couple different models for how to make that in story path. But I was like, I don't want to just like rip off lore sheets. You know, I, I feel like that's, I feel like that's, that's, that's not good. Like you shouldn't just do that. And so we, we came up with paths and I love paths. I do, mm-hmm. but I'll tell you, Eddie, I cracked open vampire fifth edition <laughs> and I saw lore sheets in there. And then in the front of the book, there's Ken Height wants to thank Jenna Moran for the concept of lore sheets. I was like, God damn it. <laughs> I, I, I should have just gone with my instincts and just stolen the whole damn thing. No, totally. Um, I remember uh, with, with with Pugmire, um, I was like, I was trying to find. I was, I did not want to do um, ladder initiative. Uh, I was like, I wanted something that's a little more interesting and fun and easier to track of. And I just kept going like, what? popcorn initiative is just so good. And so finally, I just emailed Fred Hicks. It's like, can I just use popcorn initiative? He's like, yeah, it's fine. I was like, thank you. So it's just, same thing. It's like, thanks, Fred, for let me do that. <laughs> Lots of other games use it. I um, I'm I'm going to be running a, f- a fifth edition D and D game, mm. uh, fairly soon. So I finally knuckled down and bought the DMG, mm. um, and Popcorn Initiatives in there too. Oh, is as it? one of the alternate? Yeah, one of the alternate initiative systems. I didn't even know. well because I was I was developing Pugmire as Five E was kind of coming out in the, as the awkward stage of Five E come out, but there was no OGL yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I was like, I don't know what I can use. Um, so I didn't even know it was in there because I was like just desperately trying to reverse engineer my 3.5 design into probably like a 5e design. Yep. Um, so, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but um, we're getting close to uh, the time, but I did have kind of uh, one last question. You talked about um, your intentions uh, with with going to fifth edition, um, you've talked about things you obviously you would done differently, which I think every designer has the moment uh, the pages go out to the world. Um, and you've talked a lot about like you know things your team have brought to the table. Uh, so, what is the one thing that you feel like you specifically brought to Science Second Edition that you would like point to and say, you know what, I feel the game is better because I did this. So. Um... I, I, th- I think a sense of self-awareness would be my answer. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I mean by that is, is that we live, we live in a society that um, has a lot of different historical forces moving around in it and a lot of different paradigms. Mm-hmm. I'm sure people have seen out in the world, you know, there's competing narratives about, um, you know, um, America's role in the world and America's mm-hmm. history with slavery or colonialism. And, um, you know, there's people who say, well, you know, I, I, I want to paper over that. And there's people who want to like acknowledge it and take it head on. Mm-hmm. And maybe even some people who just like want to focus solely on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to take an approach with Scion. And although I didn't have the words for it quite then, that wasn't explicitly anti-colonialist because it would, um, you know, an anti-colonialist game uh, properly defined would be Coyote and Crow. Right. Um, and that, that would just be like colonialism never happened. Like they did, they, mm. it, it just did not happen. And, and, and frankly, that that's something that people of color should primarily take leadership on and, and vision for. Yeah. Yeah. Frankly. Yeah. They, they, they absolutely should. And post-colonialism, um, and, and this is going to get into Neil's own, Neil's own academic feelings on the matter, but, um, post-colonialism often turns into something of a navel-gaving exercise because post-colonial thought fundamentally focuses on the after effects of colonialism and like what the damage it causes to societies. Um, but it is very, very bad at the what now? Well, right. like what, what do you do to reverse this damage? And it, it doesn't really address that and it's mm. not meant to. And they get really annoyed if you ask that question. But a, a decolonial approach 
does explicitly focus on that question. Mm. And so what I wanted to do in Scion is really talk about these pantheons, not in isolation, but in that greater historical context of moving through the world. And even reframing Scion, I say I say deliberately in the, the outlines, um, Scion's cosmology, the concept of fate, the, the way that gods work, um, is, is, is a little bit of the Greek gods, even the word pantheon. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit of the Norse gods, and it's a little bit of the the Hinduisms, the Hindu gods, mm-hmm. um, with you know a- avatars and incarnations and those sorts of things, um, you know. But but like every other mythology in the world doesn't fit neatly into one of those three boxes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have to kind of cludge and you have to kind of deal with things. And so I was like, okay, well, this this these are the sacrifices that we're making to make this a game. Because we have to, we have to, you know, in order to have these cultures explore there. But I wanted to put a big primary focus on getting the Pantheon's own context right, getting their mythology correct, getting their, the feeling of their people correct and, Mm -hmm. and, and their myth in there and, and making those distinct so that when you're playing, uh, you know, even if you're playing a scion of the Atua, um, the, the Polynesian uh, pantheon that we have and, and demigod and a scion of the Aesir, the the Norse gods. Um, even if you have the exact same stats, the exact same stats, even if you have uh, the same powers, it feels like you're playing completely two completely different characters, and it feels like you're looking at the world from two different angles because you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Making sure that diversity of thought was hard-coded into Scion, was baked in there, and that we looked at things from a decolonial aspect rather than a post or even anti-entity um, was important. Because a lot of these mythologies and a lot of these peoples have been altered by colonialism. They, they have right. been damaged, but they've also they've – also you know, I'm, 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 and I am absolutely not saying this was you know, a, 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 a wholly positive thing, but – their recovery and their growth from trauma, which is a, a a response to a lot of trauma, is part of their story as well. And I didn't want to paper over that and just pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, like um, to to pick maybe a potentially a less controversial example of like the Tuatha, um, uh, uh, Irish culture was fundamentally changed uh, a number of times during its growth, but like yep. particularly uh, um, during the famine. Um, that, that, that fundamentally changed what it means to be Irish and what Irish culture is like. Uh, and to have the Pantheon not address that would be kind of weird. Uh, yeah. So, so, so having them like, okay, what, where, where, are, where are these people now? Um, and I think one of the visual things that really helps sell that is the whole kind of – the art thing that Mike did, which I think I love, which is the Pantheon in its original form and the Pantheon in this modern form in the very similar poses. Um, I, I love how that kind of juxtaposes that – they're the same people, but like any people, as they grow, as they change, that that changes who they are. So, so actually, I snuck uh, uh, I snuck an interesting thing into the art notes, and this isn't this isn't always carrying into the art notes for the the successor pantheons. But um, mm-hmm. if a pantheon had really radically changed from its 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 original forms, the Norse mm-hmm. pantheon, the Aztecs, uh, the the Tuatha. Um, I I did tell Mike to vary up the poses. I did okay. tell them to to change it a little bit. Um, and so there's a couple pantheons in the book where yeah, their poses are pretty much exactly the same. And there's a couple who have really changed, and that didn't always carry through to every single pantheon. And I and I kind of wish I had I had done it with more intentionality than just like a one or two off thing, because mm-hmm. um, I I might have I might have much more carefully designed the poses for each single one. Right. Um. But uh, I was, in fairness to me, I was dealing with 140 gods. Um, sure. And lot. at a certain point, I will, I will just plead fatigue and just be like, yeah, get, put them in the same positions. I don't care. Right. No, totally. It, 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 it's an, an exhausting prospect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so awesome. Well, I, uh, I know you were kind of retired these days, but if people uh, want to talk to you about what you're doing now these days, where would they find you online? Well, I guess I'm going to have to get off Twitter because I don't really want to be on there with, with yeah. Elon Musk. Yeah, yeah. So Mastodon it is, right? <laughs> yep, Mastodon it is. Um, 
but uh yeah you can find me on twitter at uh at, at burnt neil b-u-r-n-t-n-e-a-l-l um i sometimes tweet about rpg stuff still uh even in my semi-retirement i still have opinions and i need to share those opinions i'm shocked yeah um and uh i'm i'm starting to put out more fiction books and I, I should have a website up fairly soon. Awesome. Um, uh, you can also find me for the moment on Twitter at uh, Pugsteady, P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y. Uh, you could find my website at Pugsteady.com. Uh, I'm also generally uh, hanging around on the Omics Path uh, Discord. Not really so much in the, the Scion channels uh, these days just because I've got a lot of game lines I gotta keep track of, but uh, certainly, if you um, want to talk about this specific uh, episode, feel free to drop some comments in the Onyx Pathcast channel. So, once again, thank you for your time. You know, it's always great to kind of chat with you when we can. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And as always, many worlds. Yeah.